This morning is Sunday, February 19th, 2017. This morning's word is called wasted libations. Wasted libations. We currently have two pastors, one elder in Indonesia. They're actually just finishing up their day right about now. Uh, they're 13 hours ahead of us in schedule. So they had three services and a slew of meetings today that they're finishing up right now. There were people, men and women, families getting filled with the Holy Spirit. The Word of God was preached. The Holy Spirit, it's, it's an amazing thing. Demons cast out. It's an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit operates the same way in Houston, Texas, as he operates in Jakarta, Indonesia, as he operates in India, as he operates everywhere, as he will operate in Turkey, it doesn't matter where he is. When you meet a group of believers who have truly fallen in love with the Lord, who have truly been set free of their sin, you have instant connection. Instant connection. And when you truly love the Lord, you can look into somebody's eyes and see if they really love the Lord the same way that you do. That's, that's part of the reason why I shared part of that testimony today. It's because when I look into your eyes, I know that you love the Lord. When you look into mine, I, I know that you see the same thing. We've had some incredible messages these last couple weeks. Can you, I mean, can you say that we've had some good messages? Yeah. They have been amazing. We had the devil in the deep blue sea by Pastor Eric. That was two Wednesdays ago. After that, we had a message called Step It Up by Pastor Wade. Unbelievable, built on some of those concepts. On Wednesday, we had a message by Buddy Brasso, who's not here. He's actually at King's Harvest today. But we had a message by Buddy Brasso, Hold Firm. I'd like to start where Buddy Brasso began with his message in Exodus chapter 14. So why don't you turn there with me? Exodus chapter 14. Verse 13 says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. How many problems in your life would be cured, go away, just completely be non-existent if we took that one simple phrase to heart? Just on a Tuesday morning when we woke up and we had a little bit of fear start creeping in. If we just took that one phrase, do not be afraid. How many problems in our life and in our family would it cure immediately? Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You yourselves know, just as well as I do, that most times when this passage is preached, we just stop it right there. We, we cut the cord, we, we discontinue, and from there, we, we, we have all these kind of teachings that go on. The Lord's going to fight for you. You don't have to do anything. You just stand where you are, just chill out, and the Lord's got this, okay? Don't worry about it. Turn the page. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. 
You see, we learned in the past couple weeks that that be still, that phrase, it actually means to quiet yourself. Man, so many times, I need to tell my flesh just to be quiet. I need, I need to just tell the voices inside of my head to shut up. Stop talking right now. I need to hear from the Lord, and I need to move upon what the Lord has already spoken to me. Moses, be quiet and move on. Many times, buddy's message, hold firm. Many times, holding firm means that you're holding on to the Lord, but you might be being dragged forward as he, as he takes steps and you're holding on to him. He might be dragging you forward into his will and praise God for it. It might hurt a little bit. You might fall in your face a couple times, but so many times, if you just hold firm, if you just hold steadfast to what he's spoken, if you just hold steadfast to his presence, he's going to drag you forward. He's going to take you where you need to go. Amen. Now, between these moments, these, these huge moments where you have the devil on one side, the Egyptians, and you have the deep blue sea on another side, and you're stuck between the two, and you know that you have to activate your faith between those moments, what are you doing? What are we supposed to be doing between the, the moments where we're stepping forth in faith? Is that a valid question to anybody? Yeah. Turn, please, to Exodus chapter 29. We're going to begin to lay a small foundation. Exodus 29. Hallelujah. We're going to start in verse 38 here. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. Twice a day. Every single day. One sacrifice in the morning, one sacrifice at twilight. One animal in the morning, one animal at twilight. One grain offering in the morning, one grain offering at twilight. One drink offering in the morning, one drink offering at twilight. Did you see what the measurement was on those, on those drink offerings? Anybody catch that? A quarter of a hen? What, is, what does your footnote say at the bottom? Go down there and check that out for a second. Anybody say about a quart? I did a little bit of research on this. It's somewhere between, most scholars would say, somewhere between 0.75 and one quart. Somewhere in that range is, is about what this drink offering looked like. And every single day, morning and night, drink offerings were going to be poured out before the Lord because it was a pleasing aroma to him, because the Lord wanted it, because he loved it, because it made him happy. Because it was his wish. If you have one quart twice a day for 365 days a year, you know what you get? 
you get about 183 gallons of wine a year. Now, it would be easy for some of us to go to, to some store, hit up HEB or something, and get, just buy it up. If you had enough money, you could buy 183 gallons. Wouldn't be that big of a deal. But for somebody in this time, for an Israelite in this day and age, it took significant work. Think about that for a second. To produce 183 gallons of anything, it takes significant work. Head on over for me to Leviticus chapter 23. Verse 12. Who's all there? There. I'm there. Verse 12 says, On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made to the Lord by fire, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hen of wine. We were talking about daily sacrifices before. In this passage, we're talking about the first fruits of the harvest. We're talking about the feast of first fruits. What you do, you bring before the Lord. And we, we, we're beginning to see this standard of measurement that's, that's uh, laced throughout the Torah of what this drink offering is supposed to be. Turn over to Numbers. It's going to be Numbers 15. We'll start in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, After you enter the land I am giving you as a home, and you present to the Lord offerings made by fire from the herd or the flock as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, whether burnt offerings or sacrifices, for special vows or free will offerings or festival offerings, then the one who brings his offering shall present to the Lord a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil. With each lamb for the burnt offering or the sacrifice, prepare a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Okay, here we go. Special vows, free will offerings, festival offerings. All of these special offerings, as well as the sacrifice of every day, twice a day, had a quarter of a hen of fine wine as a drink offering. The sweat of your own brow. It's funny. Now the Lord... The Lord wanted to see you pour out that wine before Him. He wanted to see something precious poured out on the sacrifice that He had commanded. He wanted to see that. It's an interesting concept. It's not something that we think about very often. To take something precious like a bottle of wine or whatever it might be, precious oil, and pour it out. Just see that it might be wasted. Psalm 16 is going to lend us some understanding about this. Now before we read this, Psalm 16 has been a mystery passage to me for years now. At least a few. I remember the first time reading it, I didn't even know what it, what it was saying. I, I tried to search, you know, the... The commentaries, they're not really very insightful on Psalm 16. I didn't get much from the commentaries. You know, I tried. I gave it a whirl. 
For many years, at least a few, I didn't understand what verse 4 and 5 really had to say. I was reading it the other day, and the Lord just exploded it in my mind for the first time. Look at verse 4 with me. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. Wow. First of all, those who are running after something that is not God, sorrow upon sorrow is just going to increase. More and more and more sorrow is just going to build up in their lives. And you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to, no matter how many fig leaves they have, no matter how hard they try to cover it up, sorrow upon sorrow will be stacked and stacked and stacked in their own life if they run after other gods. Look at this next phrase. This is the phrase that really just had me thinking, had me befuddled. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Man, now I'm really confused. Who's talking? What are they saying? What's the point? I don't understand. Well, we know that a libation is a drink offering. In the word, it's a drink offering. If you use a libation today, you might be talking about some sort of fermented drink that you enjoy. If you talk about a, a libation among the youth, or, or even in this very present day, you might be talking about just anything that you enjoy with some friends. A libation. So, what is David really saying? I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood or take up their names on my lips. Think about something for me. This is a concept that David is saying that he's not on their side. He's not with them. David says, I see the violence of their lives, the blood that is poured out as a result of them serving other gods, and I am not on their side. Think about Islam for a second. Think about the libations, the drink offerings of blood, that if you are a good Muslim, you are called to do by the most holy Quran. The libations of blood that you pour out of the people around you. The libations of blood that you pour out. Other people's blood is spilled for your God. And maybe even your own if you're lucky. David is preaching against libations of blood poured out to other gods. Just like in Islam. Keep going. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. This is beautiful, guys. If you read this in almost any other translation, it says something like this. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Now I'm really thinking. If the, if the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and the Lord is actually my physical cup, then what does that mean for me? What is the cup there for? What purpose does it have? Why is the Lord referred to as a cup himself? The Lord is your cup. And he is calling you to pour yourself out into the cup that is him. And in exchange, he turns around and he has the ability and the honor of pouring what you poured into him on somebody else. You see, he's the one that determines how to pour you out. He's the one that determines who you speak to. He's the one that determines the, the one that you lay your hands on. He's the one that determines the righteous footsteps that you are going to have. He is the one that will pour you out. 
But guess what? The cup stays empty until you fill it. The cup of God stays empty until you yourself put something inside of it. If you don't, it's just going to be empty. There's going to be nothing there. It's just going to be an empty vessel. It's interesting. You know, others, and ourselves included, everyone walking on this planet is pouring their life into something. Everyone is pouring their life into a cup. doesn't matter who you are. Nobody is exempt. Think about it for a second. I was talking this uh, week uh, at the shop. had the opportunity. One of my ex-college roommates walked in there, and he was, I haven't seen him in a couple years. And he walked in, and he was telling me all the amazing things that he had done when he was in grad school in Miami, all the amazing things that his brother and his brand-new wife are doing. They're backpacking across the United States. I thought to myself, wow, I would, I would probably be your brother if I wasn't born again. You see, the Lord gives that adventurous side. He puts it inside some of us. And it's made to be poured into him, and he poured out as he wants. But if we don't have it right, then we end up pouring ourselves into adventure in a way that the Lord didn't pour us out to. You see, we're not pouring into his cup. We're pouring into the cup of adventure. And it just gets wasted. What about this? We just had a Super Bowl. Super Bowl. So many people got together in their homes. We were out preaching the gospel on the streets by the, by the uh, stadium, Reliance Stadium. So many people getting together, pouring out their time, pouring out what they've earned, pouring out their very lives into child's games. And it amounts to absolutely nothing. Because the only thing that matters is what you did for the Lord. The only thing that matters is what you poured into the Lord's cup. That's it. There's nothing else after that. Absolutely nothing. You could talk about animals and pets. You could talk about career. You could talk about a lot of things. So many things out there. So many idols to pour yourself into. But only one cup will, will remain. Only one cup will bear good fruit in your own life. Okay. Can I have the first slide, Joy? Chiastic structure. Who remembers what a chiastic structure is? Raise your hand. Come on. Who's been in a Monday night Bible study? Chiastic structure. A figure of speech in which two or more clauses are related to each other through a reversal of structures in order to make a larger point. That is, the clauses display inverted parallelism. Now I'm really confused. I wasn't before, but now I am, right? We just had a, a Monday night Bible study not just but a few weeks ago in Exodus 32 where we compared a chiastic structure of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 and we compared Jesus to a chiastic structure found in the last chapters of Exodus and Moses' life. Perfect parallelism. One side, the other side, uh, a pinnacle that you found at the very bottom. Let's go to that next slide for a second. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 23. You probably don't even have to turn there. But let's just turn there. Just to go there. 
I know some of you guys have been memorizing Psalm 23 since you were just a little guy. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many of you, that's the first time that you've ever heard that song? Okay. Just checking. Might be. So no hand went up. That's incredible. Watch this. How does the psalm start? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Put you in there. I want you to know that as many times as I've been applying this psalm to my own life, to claiming this psalm's promises, as many times as, as I have applied this psalm to me and to brothers around me, nothing works unless the Lord is truly your shepherd. Nothing works unless the Lord really shepherds you and your life, unless you let Him be your shepherd, Amen. unless you let Him guide you, unless you let Him lead you, Unless you allow him to speak to you, you're listening to him, and you take his words to heart, and you go on those paths that he's telling you to go. If that's not you, then nothing else of this psalm applies to you, because he's not your shepherd in the first place. But if he is your shepherd, we can keep going. You shall not want. This is one of the ways that we see we can really find out if the Lord's your shepherd or not. Think about the greatest wants, the greatest desires of your life. The greatest things. If those wants are all found in your shepherd, your Lord, praise God, he might actually be your shepherd. If you have some just glaring wants in your life, some great big wants, and they don't involve him, they don't involve his passive righteousness, they don't involve things that he's spoken to you, then he might not be your shepherd. You might not be following him the way that you think that you are. Let's go down a line here. Lie down in green pastures and led beside quiet waters to restore your soul. If he's really your shepherd, if you're really finding your pleasure in him, then he's going to lead you to lie down in places that are green and lush and good for you. He's going to lead you beside waters that are restful and quiet, full of peace and shalom. He's going to give you those opportunities. Now, if he's not, you might find yourself fighting for those opportunities when they're not in the will of God. You might find yourself fighting for those moments during the day just to be by yourself and neglecting your responsibilities in the kingdom. You might be fighting against the good shepherd who is trying to put you on the right path of righteousness, trying to lead you on good things, but you're out of season. Your timing is out of season. You're putting your own responsibility on somebody else or just casting them aside. If he's your shepherd, his timing is perfect, and you trust in his timing because he's a good shepherd. You trust in his peace and his shalom because he's a good shepherd. And he restores your soul. 
Go down a line. You are guided in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. It's not just about walking righteously. It's not just, not just about looking righteous. It's about walking in a path of righteousness and you know why you're doing it. So many people can just be here, put their lives in a path of righteousness that they see looks righteous, but it's, it's still about them. It's still about them. I've been guilty of this. Gone over, had a revelation from the heavens. Come to a house. Can't wait to share it with my pastors. Can't wait to share it with my brothers. Oh my goodness, this is so good. But it wasn't for His glory. It was for me. I shared the word that I got from my good shepherd, and I shared it and I took the glory. Took the glory straight out of His hand. I know none of, none of you guys are guilty of that, but I certainly am. Look at... The, look at this pinnacle here, the culmination of this chiastic structure belongs to verse 4, the first part. And it says this, You walk through the darkest valley, but you will fear no evil, for He is with you. How many people are walking through a dark valley? How many people have walked through a dark valley in their life? Look, if He's your shepherd, if you're trusting Him, if your wants are in Him, if you're trusting Him to lead you in passive righteousness, if you're trusting Him uh, and giving up your pride and giving the credit to the Lord God, then even though you're going through the darkest, deepest part of your life, even though you're going through one of the hardest trials you've ever been through, it doesn't matter at that point because you know that there's nothing to fear and you know that He's with you. There's no substitute for the Lord actually being with you. There's no substitute for you knowing that the Lord is your shepherd and that He's with you. No substitute for that feeling. Let's go up. If you're guided in paths of righteousness for His name's sake, then His rod and His staff in your life is actually a comfort to you. His rod and His staff, you welcome it. You're like, Lord, please. Please, Lord, please use your rod and your staff on me. I need to know that I'm going in the right direction. Amen. I need a course correction here, Lord. I need some help. Your name and your righteousness and your glory is what I'm after. So course correct me. Help me, Lord. Humble me. Do whatever you have to do with my life so that I can be an accurate representation of you, that you would get the glory. Correct me, Lord. Amen. The rod and the staff. The rod. This is protection against the outside. It's, a, it's basically, a, 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 it has a point on the end to fend off things that are coming from the outside. Think of your, yourself as a sheep and the Lord is your shepherd. He has the ability to fend off and ward off the enemy. This is one of his benefits. The staff. The staff is unique as well. It's the one that he leans on. It's the one that he... Gently hits you. Maybe hits you in the butt a little bit. Come on this way. Go on that way. Ah, you're, you're going a little bit off the path of righteousness that I have for you. Come back this way. It's something that we need. We need them both, but we don't get His benefits without the first section. We don't get His benefits if He's not our shepherd and if we're bucking against His system. If you lie down in green pastures, if you're led beside quiet waters, if He's restoring your soul, 
If you're going where he wants you to go, then it's inevitable, guys. He's going to prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. Maybe this is your workplace right now. You're in the midst of ravenous wolves, or so you think. Maybe you have enemies. I don't know. It doesn't matter where. But it's inevitable that if the Lord is leading you, then you're going to have a table prepared in the presence of your enemies. But He's going to anoint your head with oil. In many translations it says, but He has anointed my head with oil. You're already anointed for the task. You already have what you need. Your head is already dripping with the oil. He's already sent you out and said, I've given you what you need. I've given you the anointing. And He makes your cup overflow. Maybe your cup is overflowing because you've spent the time. You've done the time pouring into the Lord God. So now you just can't help but your cup to be overflowing on those around you. You can't help but that because the Lord is your shepherd, goodness and love are just following you around. You're, You're an agent of goodness. You're an agent of love. You're an agent of change because he's your shepherd, because you know who you are in him, because you have no fear of evil, because he's a good shepherd and he's leading you for his name's sake. The key to all this is that last line. And you return to his house all of your days. Every day, all of your days, you keep pouring into that cup that is him. Every single day, you return to his house and you pour in and you pour in and you pour in and you trust your shepherd and your maker knowing that at the opportune time, you're going to be between the sea and between the devil and you know that that's the time. He's going to pour you out. He is going to activate your faith and you're going to step forward and you're going to see the deliverance that you need. You're going to see the deliverance in others that you need. You're going to see His power working mightily through you. But it doesn't happen if your cup is empty. It doesn't happen if you haven't been pouring into Him. Turn with me to Jeremiah 44. Am I preaching to myself this morning? Start in verse 16. We're just going to begin reading here. Israelites are in exile in this passage. Keep that in mind as we read. We will not listen to the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. We will certainly do everything we said we would. We will burn incense to the queen of heaven and will pour out drink offerings to her just as we and our fathers, our kings and our officials did in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. At that time, we had plenty of food and were well off and suffered no harm. But ever since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have had nothing And have been perishing by sword and famine. What an obstinate group that we're hearing. It's incredible. They're looking at the the face of a prophet. They're looking at the face of the truth and, and saying, that's not for me. 
You know, I felt like I, I might have been better off pouring out my drink offerings and fellowship offerings and giving up my things for the sake of something else. I thought I was better off pouring into the cup of pleasure, pouring into the cup of apathy, pouring into the cup of false rest. I thought I was better off doing those things. Verse 19, the women added, when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did not our husbands know that we were making cakes like her image and pouring out drink offerings to her? When I get home after a long day at work and I come through the doors and I view my wife and my precious daughter, you better believe that I know if they have been pouring into the cup of God or if they have been pouring into some other cup. I know it immediately. It's not hard to discern. I know exactly where they are. And in that moment, I have an opportunity. I can either keep my mouth shut and just try to go from there and cut my losses, or I can be the priest of my home. And I can walk in and say, Babe, what have you been doing all day? I see that you've been busy. I see that the home is clean. I see that the dishes are put up. But I don't see that you've been pouring into the cup of God. I don't see that you've been doing the greater thing. I can feel the atmosphere. It's, it's different here. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. And I wouldn't be a good priest in my home if I didn't bring it up. I wouldn't be a good priest in my home if I didn't encourage you toward righteousness. Come on, hold my hand. Let's pray. Let's get into the presence of God. And tomorrow when I come home, I want to see something different. It matters. It matters, husband. It matters, wives. It matters what, throughout the day, you are pouring your time and efforts into. It does matter. There are good things. But those good things, they're not God things. Turn, actually, stay on the same page. Verse 25. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You and your wives have shown by your actions what you promised when you said, We will certainly carry out the vows we made to burn incense and pour out drink offerings to the Queen of Heaven. Go ahead then, do what you promised. Keep your vows. But hear the word of the Lord, all Jews living in Egypt. I swear by my great name, says the Lord, that no one from Judah living anywhere in Egypt will ever again invoke my name or swear as surely as the sovereign Lord lives. For I am watching over them for harm, not for good. The Jews in Egypt will perish by sword and famine until they are destroyed. Can you believe that if you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do it, you sin? Can you believe that if you know the good cup that you're supposed to be pouring into and you don't pour into the cup that is the Lord? Can you believe that this passage says if you make a habit of that, if you continually do that day after day and maybe, maybe one day I did a little bit and I feel a little better, but I just go back to my muck. I keep pouring into other cups. I keep spending my time in other things that I know that I shouldn't. But I just do. The Lord can actually be against you and not for you. He can actually stand opposed to you. 
and not be on your side. Is that not an incredible thing? The Israelites were in the place, the most gravest place, or one of the most grave places in their history. They were in captivity. Terrible. They were slaves in a country, in a land that was not their own, in a place that was not theirs. They had no possessions. They had nothing. The word of the Lord was scarce, except through these prophets. Can you believe that? Sometimes, even some of the most gravest situations can't shake us out of what we want in our own desires. I would say most of the time. Most of the time. Even the most gravest, darkest situations of our life, they can't shake it off of us. It takes something supernatural. You know, my, uh, my cousin, he just got into a motorcycle accident a couple weeks ago. We got to visit him in the hospital. We got to preach the gospel to him. We got to pray with him. Uh, we we talked, talked to both of my cousins. Said, hey, this is one of the most gravest situations of your life. This is the moment where the Lord is getting your attention. This is the moment where you're sitting here with nothing to do. And the Lord has his ear turned to you. And he says, this is the time to cry out to me. This is the time to, to turn your voice and your eyes to heaven and cry out. This is the time to stop pouring in to the things that you have been pouring into and start pouring into my cup. This is the time to live for righteousness. This is the time to get your life straight when you have nothing else, when everything has been stripped from you, when you literally can't walk away because you're sitting in a bed. This is the time to do it. But most... Most get to that moment in time and they just watch it pass by. Most, by far. Don't let it happen to you. Turn with me to Joel chapter 2. You know, this life, this life was not meant for you. This life was meant for him. Anything less, anything less is just doing you and him a disservice. Anything less than pouring your life into his cup and waiting for him to pour you out is just a disservice. Anything else is just spinning your wheels. Anything else is just pouring yourself out. Your blood, sweat, and tears into something that means nothing. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings, drink offerings for the Lord your God. Return to the Lord with all your heart. What else does it say? Rend your heart and not your garments. Man, it's easy. It's easy to bring your garments in this place. It's easy to worship with your garments on. It's easy to put your feet in the place where you know you should be. But it is so much harder to rend your heart. It's so much harder to be engaged when you know you need to be engaged. 
It's so much harder to pray. And when you pray, actually pray. Actually make it worth something. Actually engage your heart in the things that you're doing. It's so much harder to do that. It's so much easier just to rend your garments. Just to, to give Him what others can see. And to leave what others cannot hidden. Hidden from everybody. Everybody but yourself. Even hidden from the Lord. It's easy to do that. I've gone days like that. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Rend your heart and not your garments. That is the greater challenge. If you pour into him, according to this verse, he's going to bless you. And guess what? The blessing is not that you poured into him. That's a blessing in and of itself. But that's not the blessing that we're talking about today. The true blessing, that if you give him your heart, and if you pour into his cup, the true blessing is him pouring you out. The true blessing is to engage somebody. Watch them encounter the Holy Spirit and your testimony, and that you're unashamed about it. Encounter that and watch their life change. That's the true blessing of your life. If you haven't truly experienced that, or it's been a long time, don't forget what the true blessing is. Don't forget what you were created for. Don't forget about what you're calling in circles. It's to do that very thing, and nothing less. No compromise. Drink offering. Can you put the third slide up, Joy? Drink offering. A word called nasek. Old Testament 5262. It means exactly what you think it means. Drink offering, libation, molten image. Most common usage of the term referred to a liquid offering that was poured out before the Lord or poured out before somebody else or poured into your own mouth. Next slide, please, Joy. Little insight into this word, drink offering. Noom, samik, kaf. Sun, grab or protect, allow. The sun that doesn't grab or protect the Lord's allowance. This is a true drink offering. The things that you're receiving in here this morning, that you don't grab, you don't try to protect them, you don't try to hold them for yourself, but you are pouring them out. You are watching the Lord use you as a living drink offering today. So, we talked about the precious nature of wine. This is a little something that every once in a while, my wife and I enjoy. A little something called cupcake. I know some of you guys have probably had this before. Wine is precious. It takes a long time to make it. Very long time, actually. In biblical days, it took years. You had to do things like plant, water, tend. You had to do things like take the weeds out. You had to do things like watch it carefully every single day. You couldn't go anywhere without somebody tending to that garden. It took absolute years. You, got the, you harvested the fruit. After you harvested the fruit... You went, you stomped on it, you crushed it, pleasant juice came out, you stored it, after you stored it, you let it ferment. You ready? 
This is something Sam and I enjoy. It's precious. I mean, we could go and buy it for $7.99. They couldn't. 138 gallons a year just for the daily sacrifice. This today is going as a drink offering. I didn't want to do that. Didn't make me feel very good. This is a trash can. It's pretty dirty. Didn't make me feel good to pour that out. Actually, made me almost feel a little bit regret. Like that was perfectly good wine. Something that I actually like. It took a while for the people to produce it. You know, it can take decades for those grapes to get right. For them to actually taste the way that they're supposed to. When I was pouring that out, what were you thinking? Anybody. What were you thinking when I was pouring that? What a waste. What a waste of perfectly good wine. How in the world could God want something like that from us? That wine was not utilized the way that I thought that it was supposed to be utilized. That wine, it was good wine, and now it's in the trash can. How can you do that? Turn with me to John, chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with, with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages when I got born again. When I began, just began to start not pouring my life into the things that I had before. And I just began to pour my life into the Lord. Something happened with the people around me. I said, looks like you're wasting your life. Looks like you're wasting your time on that stuff. You're not as fun as you used to. You don't waste your time with us anymore. You're, you're, not, you're not as, it doesn't seem like you're as nice. You, you don't do the things that we do anymore. You know, we, we don't have as much in common anymore. Aren't you wasting your time with what you're doing? But you know as well as I do that that's not a waste. You know as well as I do that Judas Iscariot was wrong. When he said, this is such a waste, he was wrong. But to those looking in the natural, it just seemed normal. Like, that's not normal life. What he's doing, he's wasting the best years of his life. Turn with me. Revelation 16. Look at verse 17 with me. It 
Everybody there? The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. What a waste that was. The angel, the one who's obedient to the Lord, he pulled out, poured out this bowl into the air. Wow, how wasteful that is. I'm just a, an innocent outsider looking in. What the Lord commanded this angel to do, it's wasteful. I can't believe he wasted everything that was in that bowl. Keep reading. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. You see, when the world looks at your life and says, What a waste. God Almighty looks at your life and says, You are finishing the task. You are doing the work that I have commanded you to do. Keep it up. Keep wasting in the eyes of the world. Keep being poured out. Keep giving of your time. Keep giving of your efforts. Keep pouring in to me and my cup. And I will on that last day tell you, it is done. It is finished. You've done a good job with what I've given you. You've poured it back into me. And I poured it out the way that I saw fit. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. If you haven't been spending your life and your time pouring into God's cup, there's another cup that waits for you. There's another cup that the Lord has waiting. It's called the wine of the fury of his wrath and it's waiting for you. If you spent your time pouring into pleasures you spent your time pouring into everything except for who he is spending your time pouring into anything but him then there is another cup waiting for you and it's called the fury of his wrath what are you going to do on judgment day when the earth and sky flee at his presence what are you going to do when you can't get the time back today if you hear my voice It's not too late. Today, it's not too late to course correct. It's not too late to submit to the great shepherd and live, to receive his benefits, to do his work. It's not too late today if you've been pouring into meaningless, useless things to say, Lord God, I'm done. I'm done with it. Once and for all, you're the only thing that matters and you're the only thing that will remain. Turn with me, Philippians chapter 2. We're on the home stretch now. We had a famous chiastic structure in the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. Directly after this chiastic structure of Jesus, his ministry, his life, his death, and his resurrection and exaltation in the heavens, we, we land on verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Maybe a generation so crooked and depraved that they didn't see value in the things that you're doing. They don't see value in the way that you pour your life out. They don't see value because they don't understand it. But they can God willing, they will. 
in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Drink offering right here. You'll never guess. The Greek word, spendo. Who would have guessed? Not me. Number 4689. It is definitely meaning a drink offering. Figurative meaning though. Catch this. Catch this. Spendo is figuratively used of one whose blood is poured out in a violent death for the cause of God. What does that sound like, saints? Spendo. How are you spending your life now? You might say, oh, but on that day I will. On that day I will be poured out. On that day I will not relent. On that day I will give it all. How are you spending your time now? How are you doing it right now? Because what you do now is absolutely what you will do on that day. You will not go out in just a, a blaze of glory saying, I wasted all that time, but today I made it all right. Not true. Not true. Look, we're going to a, a country this week. We're going to a country where there are are Islams that are, are Islamic people, Muslims, who are very, very good Muslims. We don't see a lot of good Muslims where we are here, but we're going to a place where there are good Muslims. Can I define a good Muslim for you? A good Muslim professes his faith sincerely. A good Muslim prays five times a day at least. A good Muslim gives to the poor. A good Muslim fasts for one month out of every single year, at least. A good Muslim travels internationally for his faith. Lastly, a good Muslim, and I mean a really good Muslim, he doesn't mind taking others' lives and in the end taking his own. He doesn't mind it. In fact, that pouring out to a foreign god was his goal all along. In your faith, not to some demonic pedophile, not to some foreign God that is no God at all. I'm talking about your faith here. And your faith to the one true God, to the real God. How do you stand up to something that is false? How do you stand up to a good Muslim? You say, that's, that's heinous to even make the comparison. Doesn't it rend something to your attention? When you know that something false is being worshipped, so revered that these things are happening in their life, how do you stand up to that? How do you do it? You have to spend your time and life pouring into your one true God, the God that you know is the real thing. Amen. You have to. We have men and women go and die for their country, but men and women also will not go and die for the one true king. How do we reckon that? 
How do we reckon that in our culture? You say, I would. Nick, I hear what you're saying, and I would. I would do it. Let me ask you. Your blood, sweat, and tears in this life, right now, the blood, the sweat, the tears, your own, how are they being poured out? What are you working toward that you sweat and cry the most? Or are blood, sweat, and tears foreign to your life? You don't even work hard enough to get blood, sweat, and tears. You can't remember the the last time that you bled or sweat or cried over something that the Lord was doing in your life. Where are your blood, sweat, and tears going today? Matthew. I have a poem to read. When I read this the first time, it grabbed my heart. Listen to this poem. It's called Jonah. It says, Jonah built a little booth, a shelter from the heat. A gourd vine grew, protection, from the wind that on him beat. Jonah rejoiced exceeding glad for this convenient gourd, especially since this comfort was provided by the Lord. I thank thee, Lord, thou hast been good to my dear wife and me. We're glad we're in a peaceful land of great prosperity. It makes us feel so good, this little bungalow. The kitchenette, the living room, the rug so soft, you know. We love our children, everyone. We keep them home for God. The homeland needs them just as much as mission fields abroad. And fundamentalists we are, my children, wife, and I, so thankful that we're saved by grace, secure until we die. What didst thou say, O Nineveh? Well, that's another thing. Right now we want to praise our God. We're sheltered neath his wing. Thus fundamental Jonah's to the Lord their praises tell. They'll sing, we're saved and satisfied till Nineveh goes to hell. When I read something like that, what does it do to your heart? Does it tug at you? Does it tell your story or does it tell somebody else's? I would encourage you, make sure that you evaluate your story against this poem before you immediately jump to somebody else. You see, it's hard to rend your heart sometimes. It's hard. It can be squirrely sometimes. Squirrely little thing. It wants to get away from you. Stand up with me. Ephesians chapter 5 is our last verse. Just listen. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Pour into Him. So that you can see how he wants you to pour out. Understand his will for your life. It takes devotion. Understanding his will is all about devotion. 
It's all about that pouring in process. You will never understand His will for your life if you have not poured into Him. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get wasted on the wine of your own desires. Don't have a wasted libation poured out on something else, poured out in the trash can, poured out into your own mouth, getting drunk on the precious nature of what the Lord has given you. You see, inside of everyone in here, there's something precious. There's something valuable. There's something that the world needs and that the Lord put there. And the way that you pour it out, it's up to you. Will you pour what valuable thing that the Lord has put inside of you into the trash can? Or will you pour it back into your maker, your good shepherd? Will you pour it into the one who was and is and is to come and will always be? And wait to see what his will is and how he wants you to be poured out. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you start getting this right, you can't help that goodness and love follow your life. When you start getting this right, you can't help but songs, hymns, spiritual songs, and thanksgiving just pouring out of you. You can't help it. It's who you are. It's the investment that you've made in God. It's that precious thing that He's given you that you poured back into Him that was not wasted. And it makes you that star that shines in the universe. That star that shines in a depraved world. We're going to worship a little bit. Allow this to wash over you. Evaluate. Rend your heart this morning and not your garments. Make sure that it's truly your heart. And as we worship, ask the Lord what you've been pouring into. That's like that trash can over there. Ask Him. He will show you. Do what you need to do as we worship.